0: Welcome to the Come, Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come, Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled Persevere in Unity, was given on January 12th of 2021 by Kevin J. Worthen than the president of Brigham Young University.
1: Welcome to the start of a new semester, one full of promise, but also one in which we face two major challenges, a global pandemic that threatens our physical health and increasing divisiveness and anger that threaten the moral and spiritual fiber of our society, basically COVID and chaos. The good news is that there are things within our individual and collective control that we can do to address both of these challenges. Let me start with the first. Even though many of the traditional educational routines continue to be altered because of the coronavirus, there is increasingly increasingly light on the horizon. With the rapidly expansion of availability of a vaccine, we can envision a future in which we will be able to gather more often and in larger numbers, and where in-person meetings and classes will become the norm rather than the exception. But, and this is important, that day has not come yet. And the speed with which it comes, as well as the adverse impact the virus will have in the interim, will depend in no small part on the degree to which we continue to adhere to safety and health guidelines over these next few months. So while there's increased optimism because the end is in sight, there is a commensurate need to be more diligent than ever in wearing masks, washing our hands, maintaining social distancing, and complying with testing protocols. As I've considered our situation in this regard, my mind has gone to a tradition that began in earnest with William Howard Taft, the 27th President of the United States and later Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court the only person in U.S. history to serve as the head of both the executive and judicial branches. Taft was a large man standing over six feet in height and weighing well more than 300 pounds. He was also an avid fan of Major League Baseball. On April 14, 1910, then President Taft attended the opening game of the Major League season between the Washington Senators and the Philadelphia Athletics. According to one report, As the face-off between the Senators and the Athletics wore on, the rotund six-foot-two President grew more and more uncomfortable in his small wooden chair. By the middle of the seventh inning, he could bear it no longer and stood up to stretch his aching legs, whereupon everyone else in the stadium, thinking the President was about to leave, rose to show their respect. A few minutes later, Taft returned to his seat, and the crowd followed suit, and the seventh-inning stretch was born. While most historians agree that something akin to a late inning stretch took place sporadically at some baseball games prior to 1910, its enduring popularity as one of baseball's most deeply embedded rituals can be traced in large part to Taft's aches and pains at that senator's athletics game. Now, what does President Taft's experience at a baseball game more than a century ago have to do with us? Let me suggest that with respect to the pandemic, we are just finishing the seventh inning stretch. Just as President Taft needed a break after sitting in an undersized seat for six and a half innings, many of us were ready for a change by the end of last fall semester. If seven innings of being confined to an uncomfortable seat can seem like a long time, nine months of social distancing, Zoom classes, and mask wearing can seem like a lifetime. Yet, we persevered. We made it to the end of the fall semester and we welcomed the chance to change positions, to stretch, so to speak. The pandemic seventh inning stretch came just in time for many of us. But the game was not over when President Taft took that rejuvenating break. He was re-energized, but he returned to his wooden chair whose shape and size were no more accommodating than they were before he stood. There was more baseball to be played and the outcome was still uncertain. A lot can happen in the last two innings of a baseball game. Similarly, the pandemic experience is not over for us. The need to adhere to the guidelines is more important than ever. Because of your good work last semester, we are ahead. And if we stay ahead, if we finish strong, we can, like the home baseball team, end the game one half inning early. If on the other hand, we lose focus and let down our guard, the virus may overtake us, requiring us to go extra innings or worse to cancel the game. The seventh inning stretch can therefore not only rejuvenate us, it can also remind us of the need to continue on, the need to persevere. The word persevere has a deeper meaning than we may realize. President Nelson recently shared with us that one of the Hebrew meanings of this theologically significant name Israel is let God prevail. Another Hebrew meaning of that name given to Jacob after his wrestle is persevere or he perseveres with God. This linguistic connection between persevere and Israel reminds us that difficult tasks like persevering through a pandemic are easier when we involve God in the process. So I urge you to persevere, to be not weary in well-doing as the modern scripture puts it. We've made it to the seventh inning stretch. We just need to finish strong. One key to persevering comes from another aspect of the traditional seventh inning stretch. Years after President Taft's precedent-setting stretch in 1910, some teams began to add music to the tradition. In 1934, the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, was played for the first time in a World Series game. Over the ensuing decades, that song has become seventh sta- standard seventh-inning fair at most major league parks. Because of its association with the seventh-inning stretch, it is now unquestionably the best-known baseball song in America one that unifies the entire crowd at a baseball game, regardless of their team preference. To those familiar with baseball, this surely must be odd. As one reporter put it, the seventh-inning stretch is a bit bizarre, fans suddenly standing up and singing a song about attending the very event they're at. But it's a ritual that makes baseball baseball, a shared experience. And it is that unifying element of the ritual that makes the moment so powerful and re-energizing. It doesn't matter how well you sing or which team you're cheering for. During the seventh inning stretch, you are united with others around you, brought together in the moment. As one Colorado Rockies fan explained, at the ballpark, it doesn't matter if you sing alto or awful. Baseball is best enjoyed if you embrace the chance to stand up and join in a tradition where for one minute, we can get along even with Cardinals fans or Dodgers fans. There is, as Joseph Smith explained, power in unity. And we are more in need of that unifying power perhaps than at any time in our lifetime, not only to weather the pandemic storm, but also to address pressing issues like social justice, poverty, racism, and angry divisiveness and intolerance in political and other matters. Unity is a concept that extends well beyond baseball and even beyond any of the more important issues we currently face. It is an eternal gospel principle whose presence or absence determines not only the stability and prosperity of a community, but also our own eternal destiny. Simply put, we cannot be exalted without achieving a high level of unity. The Lord made this clear in the 38th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Be one, he commanded the early saints, because if ye are not one, ye are not mine. Given the centrality of unity to our eternal destiny, it's not surprising that on the last evening of his mortal ministry, the Savior prayed to his heavenly Father on behalf of his beloved disciples, asking that they may be one, even as we are one, that they may be made perfect in one. The positive impact of unity on individuals and society is demonstrated by scriptural examples of societies that achieved an extraordinary level of unity. These include the descendants of Lehi in the American continent after the visitation of the Savior, the members of the early church in the Middle East shortly after the Savior's mortal ministry there, and the ancient people of Enoch. In each of these situations, The members of the society had their hearts knit together in unity and in love to such an extent that they could be be described as being of one heart. Speaking of those who had reached this level of unity, Mormon observed, surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. Unity is essential to our happiness. Now some may find strange a call for unity at a time when we are working to promote more diversity on campus. But as Elder Quentin L. Cook noted in the most recent General Conference, unity and diversity are not opposites. We can achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and respect for diversity. Some confusion on this issue comes from the ambiguity of the term unity. True unity does not require us to give up our individuality. As the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. observed, unity has never met uniformity. While all human beings share a common bond as beloved spirit children of heavenly parents, each of us is a unique individual with individual personalities, experiences, and gifts. And each of these individual characteristics can contribute to greater unity. The apostle Paul explained how this works in his first epistle to the saints at Corinth. After noting the different gifts that different individuals have been blessed with, Paul taught that even though the gifts were different, each contributed to the whole, just as as individual parts of the body contribute to the wellness of the whole body. And each individual part is equally important. Paul said, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. President Howard W. Hunter summarized the point and applied it to the modern-day church when he stated, We are truly dependent on each other and the eye cannot say unto the hand. I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you, nor can the North Americans say to the Asians, nor the Europeans to the islanders of the sea. I have no need of thee. No, in this church, we have need of every member. And we pray, as did Paul when he wrote to the church in Corinth, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That same principle applies with full force to the university community. When we welcome and value the gifts, talents, experiences and perspectives of all of God's children who are engaged in our common enterprise, we will not only more fully reach our individual potential, but we will also be more united. Elder Bruce C. Hafen offered a simple analogy to explain how bringing together those with diverse gifts, personalities, and experiences can produce an enhanced and enriched form of unity. For me, he said, the ideal metaphor is a musical one. With our many voices, we could all sing in unison, in harmony, or in dissonance. Of these three, he said, I prefer harmony because it enables a variety of voices to blend into a fuller, richer sound than mere unison. And as demonstrated by Marcus Roberts and the modern jazz generation at a forum here last February, the analogy applies regardless of the type of music. Even in a jazz ensemble where individual improvisation often takes center stage, there is still need for unity. And the results of this combination of individuality and unity are sweet, as demonstrated in the following clip. Jazz allows us to express our own ideas. Of course, there are rules, just as we have in a well-ordered society. There is a carefully defined structure to the music, but that structure allows for flexibility. There's a lot of freedom in jazz music. You can take a lot of liberties with it. When I first started playing with Marcus almost 30 years ago, I didn't do that. I just played everything exactly as it was written. But Marcus encouraged me to integrate what I knew of the history of this music because jazz music arose out of the experiences of black people in America, but also out of my own history. And my history. And my history. And And our history. history. And your history too. So if we want to achieve our full potential as individuals and as a campus community, we need to emphasize both unity and diversity, both our commonality and our individuality. Without unity, diversity becomes divisive. Without diversity, unity becomes stagnant. A powerful example of what can happen when unity and diversity combine was provided by our football team this past fall. As the team gathered for summer workouts, the sporting world and most of society were focused on racial inequalities and inequities that were brought to the fore by a number of events. Co-captain Troy Warner explained, We just wanted to get together and talk about how we were feeling, let players express their feelings, their emotions. As described by one reporter, black players, Polynesian players and white players took turns. They had seen NBA players wearing social justice messages on their uniforms. The BYU players decided they wanted to send a message too, one they hoped would be visible to the millions expected to watch broadcasts of their games. We had an open forum about what we thought should be the message, junior wide receiver Dax Milne said. We tried hard to make it a message that was not controversial, and someone mentioned love one another a teaching of Jesus Christ that resonates deeply with members of the church. The team designed a t-shirt with we are one on the front and love one another on the back, reflecting both the power of unity and the means by which that happens. As co-captain Isaiah Kafusi stated, we've chosen to love and that unites us. The message was seen by millions and sales of the t-shirts generated over $200,000 in profits all of which the players decided to contribute to scholarships for first-generation college students and others with extenuating circumstances at BYU. If we strive for true unity by following the Savior's example to love others, regardless of their race, gender, sexual orientation, political leanings, or other distinguishing characteristics, we can truly transform both our university community and the larger world in w- with which we interact. Now, let me suggest two things we can do to enhance unity and diversity in ways that will help us both persevere through the pandemic and lay the foundation for a stronger, more diverse, and more unified campus. First, we must avoid contention. While diversity is not the opposite of unity, contention is. As the Savior himself made clear when he was laying the foundation for a Zion society in the ancient Americas, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, he said, but this is my doctrine that such things should be done away. This does not mean that we will not disagree with each other, but it does mean we will do so in a way that both focuses on issues and not on ad hominem attacks, and also reflects the truth that each of us, including those with whom we disagree, is a beloved spirit of our heavenly parents. As former Academic Vice President Jim Rasman explained at our annual university conference in 2017, for us it is not unity or diversity, but both unity and diversity. Diverse perspectives and experiences will be a boon to our effort to discern how best to accomplish our mission and aims. We won't always agree, but we can disagree charitably. By charitable disagreement, he said, I mean more than basic civility. Instead of mere civility, which is a baseline obligation, I hope we will listen, really listen to each other and work to understand one another's views and statements in a charitable light. What an oasis of learning we would be if pursuing light and truth were the goal, and if inevitable disagreements were handled with true charity. Oh, how we need that kind of oasis in the world today. And BYU can be that oasis. As Dr. King put it, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And as the football t-shirts remind us, if we want to be one, we must love one another. Even those, especially those with whom we disagree. Second, we need to recognize that perfect unity can be achieved only through God and Christ. Our efforts to become united will be fully successful only if we focus first on our relationship with them. The Guide to the Scriptures defines unity as to become one in thought, desire, and purpose, first with our Father in Heaven and Jesus Christ, and then with other saints. If we align ourselves more with God and Christ, we will become more loving. We will see others more for who they really are, and we will draw closer to both God and our fellow human beings. Elder David A. Bednar once explained this truth in a more visual way with respect to married couples using a triangle with Christ at the apex and a wife at the base of one corner and a husband at the base of the other, both separated from each other and from the Savior. Elder Bednar explained that as the couple focuses their attention on the Savior, they are drawn upward to him and they naturally move closer toward one another at the same time. As Elder Bednar explained, because of and through the Redeemer, people come closer together. As Sister Reina Alberto explained when speaking of the Zion societies described in fourth Nephi in the New Testament book of Acts, she said, we can suppose that the reason why they were so united is because they knew the Lord personally. They had been close to him and they had been witnesses of his divine mission, of the miracles that he performed and of his resurrection. They knew that he is the source of all healing, peace and eternal progress. God is the author of diversity and the source of unity. As we come closer to him and his son, Jesus Christ, we will advance both powerful principles in a synergistic way. As we embrace our true primary identity as children of God and as act as disciples of Christ, they will magnify our individual gifts while also making us more united. So my message to you is simple, persevere in unity by coming closer to Heavenly Father and Christ who never tire and are perfectly united. If we do so, we will be able to successfully meet whatever challenges we may face individually or collectively in the coming semester and year. May we do so is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast presented by BYU speeches.